Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with another episode of Obsidian Nights, and today we will be doing a Game of Thrones Sansa 2. And the guests I was supposed to have on for Sansa 2, I couldn't reach them. So I have my tried and true podcast, Obsidian Knight, Justin Thomas from Top Shelf Fandom. Glad to hear that I'm always within an arm's reach, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, and I'm. <laughs> I'm you glad. Might, you might, yeah, but me and you got we differ on Sansa, but no, this is a this is an excellent chapter in a worldview in a in a no, macro in a micro. Yeah. This is the perfect chapter for you because you yeah. are a Sansa apologist. You are <laughs> you like Sansa, so this is a good chapter to have you on because. Um, the people that listen to me, they don't get to hear good things about Sansa very much. So this is good. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say apologists. This would not be the chapter I picked because this there's a lot no. more for us to go over. No, I uh, think in the future, in the future, we can do a Sansa in defense of Sansa. Like now is your opportunity to lock that in. If you want to do a Sansa in defense of Sansa, we can do it, but you know, you're going to have to fight me. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. I just want to make sure that we sign a contract for the rest of our other business dealings <laughs> to make sure you still work with me. The fight is not my worry, my lady. Uh, but no, uh, no, no. Here's the thing. I, it, 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 you know, you don't, you don't back down and it's just, it's not your digs, right? Like it's not something you're interested in doing. So if you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, I don't think at all that you feel that you couldn't present yourself a case, but that's not what this is about. I'll get it out of the way. Sansa is a necessary story. I think Sansa is a story that is very meta in the sense of what what is Sansa's issue at the very beginning of this story. She has been raised by, let's just call it for what it is, Ned and Catelyn did not do a great job as far as, you know, illuminating, enlightening Sansa into what the world really is. And we have two things in life that dictate the way in which we perceive the world. Story, which are fairy tales, like Tolkien-esque stories that she's you know, red and she embraces. And then this laissez fair attitude that <laughs> Catelyn and Ned uh, foolishly, and I would say, you know, ignorantly and in, in a very dangerous matter, you know, installed in her. So Sansa well, is going into this story and she's going and she's being thrown to the whoops. But I would say that the best thing about this in a meta sense, just let me get it out, is that all these fairy tales and all these things that everybody talks about that Sansa is oh, so enthralled with and she's so ignorant for believing. Guess what? That's kind of the point of Sansa's story is to empower people through that so they see a story about that because we don't cite life for life. We cite story for life. And it's very important to have her story alongside Arya's story. They complement each other. But they came from the same fucking castle, the same coochie. First daughter and second daughter. They came from the same coochie. They came from the same castle. They came from the same ball sack. Like, these are the same people. And all of the siblings, minus Jon Snow, so far as we know, all have the same parents and they came from the same castle. And Sansa is just so much 
different than them. And I know like you can be raised in a house and be different from your siblings, but usually your core values are like the same. In duty is her core value, and she does a lot is of the it? same things. Yes, absolutely. First off, Arya is pretty much, if I had to do an analogy, she is somebody that is going to eventually not have to travel by boat because planes will be invented. So the whole time that, like, you know, they're in a carriage <laughs> learning about boats, she's just staring out the window, you know, having her second daughter lifestyle which allows her to go and be adventurous and look at the broader world where Sansa's paying attention to shit so she can sail Arya's ass to America where they can implant you know like invent airplanes and and things can actually happen because she has duty and she I hear a lot of talk about like people acting out of emotion especially Catelyn right everybody that that's her folly she's so emotional name me times that Sansa acts out of emotion really never she just takes it and she has that internal strength she always acts she acts out of emotions a lot the whole thing where she told on her dad she told her dad's plans to cersei was out of emotion that she wanted to say bye to joffrey and she wanted to be in king's landing with joffrey she didn't think about what kind of actually she did think about what kind of effect it would have she knew that the queen can make him stay the queen can command him to stay but it was her emotion of wanting to be with joffrey well, want, but being with Joffrey, I mean, we, should, we this this is going to turn into a whole different. In all fairness, this is what this comes down to: is, is is that Sansa is a character in which we despise for the reasons in which the these are constructs of the time. So I'm not going to do the whole a victim of the time or you know a, a result of the times in which they live in, but we we can't ignore the system in which is being depicted to us. Number one, because that's True. one of the the actual reasons for Sansa's character is to depict the internal actual workings of a feudalistic landscape so there are multiple reasons to write story threads this is one of them there is the meta aspect as i spoke of of having a very empowering story because you want to talk about people buying in the bullshit and i'm not gonna even play like the 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 gender card here i'm just gonna play like a, a pure ignorance card like people are ignorant they think they can be a prince or a princess that's actually true sansa's story is far more empowering in a meta sense meaning for the people that read it because they see, yeah, why would you? Because the anger in which you feel, Gray, and you know how much I love you and respect you. You know what I mean? Like, you you have a far better handle on the lore of this than I do or, or will ever have. And I respect the hell out of that. But what you feel right now is the point of Sansa. And that is good well, writing. I'm, I'm, that's what I was going to get. I was going to say she's a very well-written character mm-hmm. for her purpose in the story. That doesn't mean I like her. No, you don't the have to. The fact that I dislike her proves that she's a well-written character oh then why why are we fighting oh shit okay all right i'm not saying that she's a bad character i'm saying that her character is a bad person and and frustrates the fuck out of me yeah i wouldn't say bad. me that's for another time i wouldn't say frustrates me but that's fair i i just see a lot of people and i hate that i think you had a tweet earlier (laughs) that said creating the most toxic and and i love the fandom and i think there can always be good that comes out of it right but come on like people are like if you like sansa then you can pretty much go fuck a goat or blah blah i mean they say crazy shit no a part of it is that the fandom is really toxic when it comes to sansa and daenerys yeah so there is this there is this thing in the fandom this unspoken thing where daenerys is always attacked 
by using Sansa. And Sansa is always attacked by using Daenerys. Like if you can't say anything bad about Daenerys without comparing her to Sansa, or you can't say anything bad about Sansa without comparing her to Daenerys, then like it's pointless. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I just want to. Compa- you're comparing two completely different characters in two completely different situations that. I just like I just can't relate the two. Oh, I love I love that you said that, and and thank you for saying that. And hopefully, your voice will empower that. And I want to just do my one quote, and we can get into it. You are just speaking just straight out of George's heart here. This is from him. None of us have a omniscient viewpoint. We're all alone in the universe. We hear what we can hear. We're very limited. If a plane crashes behind you, I would see it, but you wouldn't. That's the way we perceive the world. And I want to put my readers in the head of my characters, isolated, right? Threads. Right. This is what you're talking about. So yeah, by by all means, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a fantastic <laughs> chapter that gives us this wonderful point uh, of view from Sansa. A lot of, even though I know it's a POV and it sounds redundant, but Sansa is so much in her head because of that internal struggle, right? Like, the actual exposition that you get from her, like verbally or overtly, however you want to phrase it, you know what I mean? Like it's very little. It's a lot of her internalizing things in kind of, you know, being taught about what a knight really is by the hound, Loris, and then you have uh, Dantos down the line. There's like three knights in her life that really like I see through the thread that really inspire what she is or, or lead to what she becomes. Yeah, I think that when it comes to Sansa, when it comes to this chapter, uh, there's a lot that um, we could talk about, but I wanted to say like, before we get too far into the chapter, because that's what we're about to do, that one of my pet peeves when it comes to Sansa is that a lot of people that champion Sansa say that that is the strongest type of woman. Mm-hmm. So I got into a Twitter argument before with Asansa Stan. She was like, well, Sansa is the strongest type of woman. She represents feminism. And I'm like, she does not represent me. She does not represent me. I don't think that you have to take all of the most feminine aspects. And I don't want to say weak aspects, but the most feminine aspects, like being quiet and being subservient. Docile, yeah, being all of that submissive and all of that shit and say that that is the strongest type of woman or that all women should relate to this because all women aren't like that. And that's why these characters in the books are different. And that's why different people relate to different characters. Like to me. I'm more of a, I don't have fucking dragons. Like, look, if I had fucking dragons, shit would be going down. But that's why I relate to Daenerys because she does, she, her strength is very outward. And I feel like mine is too. I'm not going to be submissive. I'm not going to be a docile woman. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be the handmaiden tale type bitch. I'm not going to be that ever. So I cannot relate to her and i also think that she's a mean girl like she's a a gretchen a a regina george type of girl especially to her sister and i can't fuck with that yeah well and i and i get i get that complaint to to an extent here and this is where the argument comes into play because that's where i say i like to uh just kind of just 
I, I like to set gender aside because I feel like that is really the folly of this argument is that people will say she is the embodiment of feminism. She is, you know, she she is actually realistic. All of them are fake. I just went over this in a diatribe uh, in a live stream because I needed to put all content on my own uh, channel like a few days ago. And, and I just got done for the second time reading the, the science of storytelling and story genius. And all this is actually, you know, like these are all studies done by neuroscientists and people that are professionals in the cognitive function of, of our actual brains and what we experience. When you read Jane Eyre, you aren't thinking about Jane. You are Jane Eyre. When you read about Danny, you are Danny. When you read about Sansa, you are. Stories influence our life just far more than we give them credit for because we don't feel any type of strain. It is a leisure activity to us. The same way in which a berry that is poisonous tastes bad to us in a steak tastes good to us. Uh, not non-vegans, obviously, Um, but you get what I mean? Like it's because the storytelling animal is us and it's advantageous for us to learn from story. And we don't understand or really realize how much we actually cite story for situations in our real life. And I think it's very important to lay this down. Sansa is not subservient in the sense of she's just weak, but she is sitting back and she, at this point, in all fairness, she is the last Stark. Because she doesn't expect anything out of John, of course, because of her upbringing. You have to remember that her upbringing is what it is. The She is the last person with the name. Arya is dead or who knows where, you know, and she has to survive. So she is sitting back. She's surviving. But also, I would argue that she is doing some maneuvering behind the scenes and she's internalizing it. And the one big catalyst for me, and I'll just leave it here, is the strain of bodies that enable Arya to be empowered are mad you start with Euron and just move your way up how many men die for Arya to become this magical warrior that and I, I know mean, and how many men die for Sansa takes it and yes and then when she's able to she positions herself you're a chess player you've got to respect that Sansa after a feast for crow Sansa she's dirty she's, she's dirty that, yeah she's, she's dirty she's your start she's you're starting to like I respect the fuck out of her. See, that's so weird because that's when I don't but, like her, and then you no, like her. That's when I like her. Yeah, I like crazy. her. I cannot fucking stand. Like, I can't stand when she's all swooning over Joffrey and <sighs> Florian the fool and all this shit. I can't stand it. I mm-hmm. can't stand it. And I know that she doesn't have a choice. And I know that she's surviving. And I know that it's a different type of strength to be able to go through that shit. But I'm just saying. Don't say that she is the embodiment of no. feminism. No, no, no. Don't no, yeah, say that. Absolutely. Like, but yeah. It, both ways are bad. I think that when you are a purist in any sense, I've said this a million times, you are a fool. You need to understand that there are two sides to every story. So a feminist will will go about, you know, mostly in a traditional sense of, well, they have to almost display what would be depicted as masculine behaviors, right? Like Liana uh, Mormont is like one of the worst ones like in the show. Like she's just like, I can hold the spear as well as anybody. Like, okay. No, but so that's it, what I'm saying. But that's what I'm saying. Brienne could be the embodiment of feminism. No, she is. They all uh, are. But Daenerys it, it, could be the embodiment of it. They, yeah. they all are collectively. So to yeah. say that one is more feminine than no. the other, it just Incorrect. pisses me off. It pisses because me the off strongest woman isn't the hour. woman that does men things because that's a disservice to women. Because if what makes a strong woman is what makes them like a man, you are going under the assumption that men are stronger. And I don't mean physically because physical strength is one attribute and it's not a great one because you tell the drones that are killing all these 
who knows how many, you know, push-ups these guys can do that get blown up by something from Radio Shack. You ask them what that strength did for them. Intelligence is everything. You know, that right. is one aspect of it all. So it is, it is what it is. It's, I think George presents us. And I always say, why does everybody pick a hill to die on that George sets like two, like, you know, Palatine Hills, like in Rome, right. For us to like, see the opposite of like Aria and Sansa, Brienne and, and, and Marjorie, right. Like all these things that we should be taking notes from But then we got people on Twitter that are like, fuck you, you're a piece <laughs> of shit. You know, like George is like, what the, like, like that is like, like not what this is about. Sansa rode to the hands turning with Septa Mordain and Jane Poole in a litter with curtains of yellow silk so fine she could see right through them. They turned the whole world gold. Beyond the city walls, a hundred pavilions had been raised beside the river, and the common folk came out in thousands to watch the games. The splendor of it all took Sansa's breath away. The shining armor... The splendor of it all took Sansa's breath away. They watched the heroes of a hundred songs ride forth, each more fabulous than the last. The seven knights of the Kingsguard took the field, all but Jamie Lannister in scaled armor the color of milk, their cloaks as white as fresh fallen snow. Sir Jamie wore the white cloak as well, but beneath it, he was shining gold from head to foot with the lion's head helm and a gold sword. Mm-hmm. Sir Gregor Clegane, the mountain that rides, thundered past them like an avalanche. So Sansa's just like recalling all the, like she's just mesmerized by all the nights. Mm -hmm. And there's so much metaphor here that I just want to touch on because like even in seeing through the silk, right? Like it's almost like seeing through the veil, Mm -hmm. like uh, the silk lens, this rose, these these rosy glasses per se. And she's seeing gold, mm -hmm. the Lannisters. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, I love that about Jamie wears the white cloak as well but underneath you know he's something else right mm-hmm. and in this way he's depicted you know is you know the the lion the lannister you know the wealth and all that but it, it, this is all of this like it's just shining light on this facade and there is a, a i think a little bit of uh intelligence that a lot of people wouldn't like to admit i'm not talking about you but like a lot of people wouldn't like to admit i think she's observant of this They're like these knights that she's read so many stories because as you just brilliantly quoted, you know, like uh, of what nights of a thousand stories or tales, whatever, yeah. you know, th- this now this is what happens in real life. In Even that, in it, Sansa one. Oh, sorry. No. Yeah, no, I'm just, and you're about to get to real life where blood starts spurting out fastly, but then slowly, like, I mean, yeah. But right. even in Sansa 1, like a big part of that chapter was how she had learned who was who and what was what. Like she knew who Barristan Selmy was and she knew who Renly was without having to be told who they were. And she was proud that she knew those things. And those are important things for a lady of her station to know at this time to make a difference. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. have to understand that that is not a submissive role for her. That is an empowered role at this time. Right. We don't have to say, I mean, because, hey, we all could be like moonwalking in a thousand years or whatever on Mars, eating at a pizza hut slash Taco Bell, because things will probably still be about the same. Uh, but yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? But like at the same time, like let's not be ignorant. Like it is what it is. Like it's written during this time period. And of course, we all know. But Captain Hindsight has no place in this podcast, at least in my opinion. Or you can boot me off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So anyway, they they um she watches the jousting and the mountain rides against Sir Hugh of the Vale and the mountain sticks his lance right up in his neck and kills him. And he falls like right in front of Sansa, like 10 feet in front of Sansa. 
And like Jean Poole is crying. Septa Mordain has to take her away. Um, but Sansa is actually not even faced by it, kind of. Well, she keeps her composure, and this is something that's an ongoing thread because she has been taught that is what a lady does. And this will aid her, and this is also not a great emotional thing, I'm sure any therapist would tell you, but yeah. It, she, she... it says, it says, but Sansa sat with her hands folded in her lap, watching with a strange fascination. She had never seen a man die before. She ought to be crying too, she thought. But the tears would not come Mm -hmm. because she did not know this man. And this is an allegorical take on war, right? For these lords, because how many people that never met Ned, Rob, right? Yeah, I mean, she says that she says that she's like, he's some stranger from the Vale of Aaron whose name she had forgotten as soon as she heard it. And now the world would forget his name too. Sansa realized Mm -hmm. there would be no song songs for him. That was sad. But I I feel like that is a hint at dark Sansa. Like, I feel like Vale Sansa is dark. She is. No, she is. But it's because what the world, because I guess the argument that we would have to culminate or come to the conclusion at Well, we don't have to argue about it. No, no, no. But I'm saying like the, the argument would be, is she better or do we need her to maintain the virtue? Because she obviously has not been educated. We both can agree on that in a sense that's, that's, you know, proper or a sense that's like applicable to the real world. Like she has walked in a fool. Like, again, like I asked you before we started recording, how much rope do you have in your purse? You're like, none. I'm like, well, if I throw you down a hole and I'm like, dummy didn't have any rope. It's like, why the hell would I carry? Nobody told Sansa to bring any rope. You know what I mean? Like she, yeah. she it is what it is. So I think, no, but you're right because I I'm with you. Like, uh, yeah, she gets dark, but <laughs> it's a dark world. Yeah. So in the end of all of the jousting, um, it comes down to four people, the Hound, the Mountain, Jamie Lannister, and Sir Loras Tyrell. So I will say that I think those are the four best swordsmen in the entire Westeros. Even though this is the joust, I think, hands down, the Kingslayer is the best swordsman in this story when he has two hands. I think the Hound is badass. I think Sir Gregor is badass. And I think Loris Tyrell is badass. Loris Tyrell is just very young. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. If I have to like do like uh, MMA math, I, I would say that it would come down to Jamie and Loris. And Jamie would take because of his experience. But Loris is the only other one that isn't just relying on pure like uh, brawn, meaning strength, like a puncher's chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, he has the. Yeah, I think that's a very uh, accurate and uh, impressive uh, breakdown right there, because, yeah, I agree with you. I think that Jamie is the most technical fighter and he's the one that's able to, regardless of strength, have the technique. It's not just a puncher's chance. And yeah, I think that Loris, you're right. Yeah, he, he he's younger. And I also did, did you notice how every time after Loris wins? how he like randomly just goes out and passes out. Like he is just like the embodiment of the fairy tale, right? Chivalry. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. why Sansa is so drawn to him. Oh, absolutely. I am too. I'm like, what a great guy. He just, you know, he's whooping ass. I can appreciate that. And then he's being chivalrous. I'm like, Hey dude, you're pretty cool. You know what I mean? It is what it is. I like his style. And then we have Peter Baelish who was up in this mix. Just too. like his style. Just to be clear. <laughs> Sweet child, this is Lord Peter Baelish of the King's Small Council. And the first thing he says to Sansa, your mother was my queen of beauty once. 
so weird. Like so weird. Ew. And I think it's interesting the obsession mm-hmm. that Littlefinger has with Sansa. George She's more Tully. Yeah. George, she has all the Tully features. George talked about it. How the show, you know, had gave Littlefinger had gave Sansa to Ramsey. George was like that his little finger would never give Sansa away. It's like my little finger is a pedophile. So no, yeah, like <laughs> like, like like just straight up. I mean, he is like he is. She, a, he he said that he thinks of her as his daughter. Littlefinger thinks of Sansa as his daughter with Catelyn, mm-hmm. or like as his you know something, or as Catelyn herself. Yeah, which is a problem, and that's where the pedophile, you know, I'll take it out if you want, but that's kind of where that derives from. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you're like kind of like Catelyn. You got all those Tully features, none of those Stark features that, you know, cut me emotionally and physically. Uh, yeah, he it, it, such a weird... Everybody is being presented to her. And now there is a lot of realism. I like the, that they go into depth and I understand why the show did not right with this. I like how there's a melee here. I like how like thorough Samir is being like, you know, jested at right. They're kind of like giggling about him because he's kind of silly, but then they hear about his great deeds. I like how Beric Dondarrion, I think you've talked about this in episodes past. Like he is such a big deal. Like he is such a hot shot. Like yeah. in the books, in the books, like he's such a hot shot. Like not that he's some chump in the in the show, but like he, they really like it's like a bunch of peacocks in this chapter, just walking about, like you know, like showing off their feathers, and you can tell who's prominent, who's not, and she's taking note of their fighting styles. This is a really fun chapter. It's full of metaphor, though. Like everything is just like the, you could spend hours breaking it down. So they have dinner, right? Like it, it turns into night. They have like this party dinner party thing, and Joffrey sits beside Sansa. And Sansa's like, "Oh my god, my prince, my mm-hmm. precious prince," and um, she's like not b- putting any blame on Joffrey for what happened to Lady. She puts it on Cersei and, she, and Arya. In Arya, and in fairness, it, it, she is twelve years old. She, her station in life is to be a a a queen. She it, knows he lied. She I'm knows not, he's a liar. She knows he's a man without a shred of honor. Well, you show me this twelve-year-old, any boy or girl with as much virtue and knowledge and wisdom as everybody claims to be and and i'll give you a million dollars but yeah i agree yeah there's there's a fault in her in her logic but she's also a 12 year old girl that is being shoved into a situation in which it's not really an option for her not to be here is it did she choose it did she did she like like enter a raffle to to i mean i mean no but she has she squanders her chance to leave away but that's another chapter. She could not hate Joffrey tonight. He was too beautiful to hate. He wore deep blue doublet studded with double row of golden lion's head and around his brow, a slim coronet made of gold and sapphires. His hair was as bright as the metal. Sansa looked at him and trembled, afraid that he might ignore her or worse, turn hateful again and send her weeping from the table. Instead, Joffrey smiled and kissed her hand, handsome and gallant as any prince in the songs, and said, Sir Loras has a keen eye for beauty, sweet lady. Mm -hmm. So she has a good night. 
with Joffrey. In Joffrey also, there is some sympathetic, or at least I'd say empathetic, aspects of Joffrey here that he is obviously, he is he is fainting, right? Like he gives the septum some wine. wine. He yeah. is now, like, because let's not act like he's like just so overtly evil to her. He's not. He really isn't. Like at this point, we. I listen, mean, I don't he, fucking like. Joffrey. He killed her dog. He, he killed her dog. If somebody did, if somebody told a lie mm-hmm. to the point that Yuki gets killed, I'm throwing hands. I'm coming for the throat. Oh, like, and I was cannot- ready for this. I was ready for this. If you ever seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Dennis Reynolds <laughs> once in one of the episodes where they have like, uh, like Frank is in like he's with these terrorists like uh you know whatever danny devito and and dennis is trying to like do the 24-hour news cycle and he just a dog comes by it's like oh i thought we were and and it's just the the very fact and i can sympathize with this because i'm an animal lover myself but if you mess with animals you are fucked you are fucked so like the very fact that lady is killed i strongly believe that if you took that out of this story which i don't think you should because i think the story is still beneficial trust me the hate mostly derives from she let something that was really out of her hands happen the lady but she also justifies in her head let me tell you about things you can justify in your head i think everybody knows deep down inside we can justify a lot and she doesn't want to think the guy that she is supposed to marry is responsible and she puts that on the cersei who is telling her some hard truths and talking about hard decisions i'm not justifying it but that animal death trust me it gets me to and yes you're right it, it is so hard it, once you if you say you don't like a doc they're like i am not subscribing the top shelf like i will lose a thousand subs and i've only got like four so don't <laughs> yeah you know what i mean like i can't afford it and i like dogs i love dogs i love all animals uh, but yeah yeah you can't get past that go ahead so, I knew you were going to go to it, though, and I knew Yuki was going to come into play. I was ready for the. Uh, I'm not going to do it, but yeah. No, I get it. I get it. You're right. I love animals. <clears throat> so Robert Baratheon uh-huh. makes a roaring announcement that he's going to fight tomorrow. If I say that I will fight tomorrow, I will fight. I am king. That's what he says. But little does he know. So Robert wants to fight in the melee, but little does he yeah. know, like, they, three to four they hours, want him to fight. The they want him to fight in the melee because they want him to die. Yeah, it lasts three to four hours. Melees, like that's why they always use the tilt, meaning like the joust, as the actual like uh, depiction of like who wins and who loses because it's fairly like straight up, right? You're at each other's lance, and there's a little bit of description uh, within here, which I think they do a pretty good job of like French like chivalric uh, attorneys because that's really where most of this one happened. Blah blah blah. Robert's like, okay, you both like pointed, but one did it cleaner. Like it comes down to crap like that. The melee, it's like four hours long of just bashing each other. Like. <laughs> It's insane. So eventually it gets late and Sansa, you know, wants to go. It's time for her to go back. And Joffrey's like, do you need an escort? And then basically Joffrey sends the hound to Mm -hmm. take her back. And I really like the hound later. We all do. The hound is hard truth. The hound is breaking the idea of Loras. Loras is the depiction of the fantasy story in which she's been told. The Hound is the drunken, burnt, abrupt, which I love dogs, um, dog that tells her how things are. Could he do it in a better way? Yes, he could. But is he looking to be a teacher or is he kind of just like spiteful in general? He's not a knight. He, he, he just like he barks orders at her. He barks like truth at her and she needs to hear it. He's one of her three. Mm-hmm. 
there are three tutors of Sansa. Like I said, there is Loras, there is the Hound, and then there's Dantos. You know, and and I think that then you then you have Dark Sansa, Dark yeah. Sansa, and the Hound kind of like you know tells Sansa like I may need to kill my brother tomorrow. Like <laughs> just unloads all his bullshit on her, and she's like, huh. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. That's what I was trying. Like, is he really trying to teach her? Is he just like, un- like you just said, unloading his bullshit? Right. Well, he mocks her too for Joff. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, did you think Joffrey was gonna take you?" Yeah, and he also says, "Some septa trained you well. You're like one of those birds from the Summer Isles, aren't you? A pretty little talking bird, repeating all the pretty little words they taught you to recite." And Sansa's like, "That's unkind." Yeah. <laughs> Because she's not supposed. Because she thinks in her head, though there is a moment again, and I know that it sounds like a little like redundant or even silly for me to say that most of her POV is in her head, but more so because there's less dialogue. Actually, it's a lot of internal monologue, and she thinks that she should be kind to to the Hound because he's a nut. But he reminds her, he's like, "I'm no knight," you know what I mean? Like, like she's trying to like really like fit that mold that that in which she's been casted in and she basically he basically tells her like gregor killed sir hugh of the veil on purpose like he knew his gorget wasn't fastened right like he knew he was going to kill him Mm -hmm. gregor's lance goes where he means it to go and also didn't lady aaron not allow any of the veil knights is it because he is he technically how was hugh able to to compete i thought that liza uh didn't permit this i have no idea well he's a real he's a rapscallion that's why he died he got what was coming to him good for him uh Mm -hmm. yeah but no but yeah he says he says oh you think that was an accident you think that you know he's chivalric you think he's noble no like so he's just drunkenly spitting and he's like 80 feet tall so like this is a 12 year old little girl so like in hindsight yeah this isn't great either (laughs) <laughs> like, this yeah. is a, a good education but like you have ned and catlin at winterville letting her read these fairy tales and then you've got the hound screaming at her i don't know yeah and i feel like um the hound kind of just like unloading on sansa is partly because he's drunk as shit like he's telling her like how his brother burned his face yeah, and the night and the toy and all that shit like he's telling her that whole story and I don't know. Uh, all jokes aside, I think it's departure from your familiar tutorage. You know, mean yeah, tutor. I mean, I think it's an attempt to humanize the hound mm-hmm. because he's not really. But he is attracted to her too, which plays the George's dark side because this plays into this. This is part of his motivation, as we're led to believe, that he takes an inch. Why is he unloading this in the sand? So he's like, things aren't like you think they are, little bird, blah, 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 right? Like, that's odd as well. And so after he tells Sansa the story, Sansa's like, he was no true knight. And the hound just fucking busts out laughing. It's like, no, no, little bird. He was no true knight. Yeah. Like, but that should, that metaphorically, him telling Sansa that at this tourney of knights where she's so focused on all the knights should tell her that, yeah, most of these knights aren't true knights. There, is, there are no true knights. But also, we just discredited the shit out of him, Gray. The drunken gentleman that has an odd interest in this young lady just spewed a whole lot of, yes, truth as we know it now in hindsight. 
but what she should be dispelled because of his word alone this man no she shouldn't be she shouldn't be dispelled but those are things that i mean as the story goes on like the hound is a big part of sansa's story no she he definitely is but in hindsight but at this point she shouldn't be like oh you're so right mr drunken giant that's no i'm not saying that i'm saying metaphorically though i -hmm. think that's why george has it there oh yeah 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 yeah. like that's why i say he's part of the three tutor system you know loris the hound then dantos the fool i think that that's her that that's her lesson. I don't, I think people accredit Littlefinger more than they should. I think it should be those three. Yeah. So um, when they get back, he she's like, "Thank you, my lord." The hound caught her by the arm and leaned close. The things I told you tonight, he said, his voice sounding even rougher than usual. If you ever tell Joffrey, your sister, your father, any of them, I won't. Sansa whispered. I promise. It was not enough. If you ever tell anyone he finished, I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Reasonable guy. Reasonable <laughs> stuff. That's what I'm saying. Like, like and that's you know, how the chapter ends. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Like, you know, like it's just like, oh, oh, thank you, kind. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many walks home I've had from fancy gentlemen that have just said the same damn thing. You know, uh, it's just a fantastic situation. Yeah, the guy's obviously out of his mind. So that's that's the paradox in which Sansa is faced with. Like, is this chaos versus chaos? Right. Like, it's like, oh, what? You think this is all good? No. Well, let me be this crazy, huge, like, you know, man that is going to threaten to kill you also and be all drunk and tell you this. So, like, Sansa does not have a good... She is always off her footing. And I think that Sansa, it it definitely, by the time, you know, that she turns into Dark Sansa, take it as you will, is after her tutelage from these knights. And I think this hand of the tourney is a perfect example. And I think they could have done a little more in the show as far as like showing the different like types of uh, like culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like in all that, this, this is a beautiful chapter to read. Like this is a part of obsidian Knights that I love so much because going back and this is the first time that I actually did my lazy uh, listen instead of my read, you know, uh, and <laughs> I forgot how, how, uh, how, you know, RIP, um, how he says, uh, Pitar, um, Pitire. Yeah. 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 I forgot about that, but, uh, um, and Brian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it shows, you know, the inception of it and all that, but it is a beautiful chapter and it paints such a vibrant picture. And this shows George's uh, ability to write his cadence, meaning like the rhythm of his writing. And I think this is one of the, it's not, this is almost like a, a macro view of the world other than just Sansa's more than more than anything in my opinion that's why I would say it wouldn't be the best one to use for Sansa's you know no if you're gonna do if you're gonna do a defense of Sansa you have to do you have to just not use one singular chapter like you have to have her a feast for crow stuff you have to have her a storm of swords stuff like you have to have that kind of stuff the result of, of everything that's happened. Uh, and yeah. e- even the one before this uh, that, that I did a re-listen to, you know, gave me a lot more insight. And, you know, that again comes from like her paying attention in the carriage and Aria like looking aside. That's where I get my metaphor. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun now. But in real <laughs> life, it's like, you know, like, listen, like somebody needs to pay attention here because it's like, oh, we don't know how to get to the moon in the 1800s. And like, you know, like somebody's paying attention and one person's like, I'll be there anyways. You know, like she almost has. I'd like to say that Sansa does have her faceless man 
moment, like uh, much like Arya does, but she just has it in a different way. She really does because Arya keeps a pile of dead bodies of people that die for her survival. And and Sansa internalizes a lot of that pain. And I think that both service each other. And I don't want to hear that Sansa is an embodiment of femininity because she's not you know all strong or wielding a sword because women definitely can do that but also i don't want to hear that strength is the only thing that makes you strong like oh what you can do what a man does that means you're strong no that's a disservice to women trust me i know how clever you guys are i hate how clever you guys are um (laughs) you're way too clever you know what i mean like there's so many instances where it's like we need to appreciate these these micro threads and separate them and take a lesson from them and please stop making all of these hills in which george gives us one for you to die on and slaughter others on because that's what happens in this fandom. It's like, oh, if you don't like this person, you can burn in hell. It's like, my God, what happened here? I be feeling like that about about Daenerys, though. So, yeah. and, and about Jamie, like, and about Jack, like, I'll throw these hands for Jamie Lannister. But that is Sansa too. Mm-hmm. I think we covered everything we needed to cover. Yeah, no, yeah, she's perfect. Or she knows she's perfect. Your kids could die. Uh, no, yeah, it is. yeah, obviously, I have the benefit of editing this. No, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy Sansa as a, uh, a POV that is more of a meta POV. That's the last thing I'll say. Again, it is more of a benefit when we hear that she's she's consumed by these fairy tales. Well, this is a story for for everybody to read, no matter yeah. what gender, and be like, guess what? Shit gets rough. Maybe you want to bring some rope with you next time so you can climb out of that hole. So, yeah, I, I love this as always. Even if I'm not editing it, it's an honor to be on. And it, it's fantastic because I get to enjoy these chapters again. And I highly recommend that everybody else does. I appreciate you for coming. I appreciate you for editing, being my editor for Obsidian Night. And anybody that's watching, if you want to get on a podcast episode of Obsidian Night. All you have to do is go on Twitter and contact at Nims Shadow. I will leave it in the description box. And she's doing my schedule. So she will give you a chapter. She will give you a date and time to record. And we will record together. And it'll be on Obsidian Nights Podcast. And I will see you guys next week.